0: to get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com/filmdaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, h l p.com/filmdaily.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, January 26, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion about the book of Boba Fett, chapter five. I guess the title is a spoiler The Return of the Mandalorian. This yeah, is Slash but we, film Editorial. We knew di-
2: this was coming. We knew this was coming.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta, And joining me head to this podcast is Slash Home Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me and Star Wars expert, the guy that writes our weekly review on Slashfilm.com, Brian Young. I'm just thrilled to be alive. (laughs) And here, and here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, well, uh, before we get into this, let's read uh, some feedback from last week's episode. You know, you can always send your emails to us at peter at Slashfilm.com. And uh, last week I was pointing out how I was uh, worried that Boba Fett's Bantha was going to get killed in last week's episode, and I was joyed that there was no Bantha death last week. Well, Dean writes in the point out, while there was no Bantha death, they did walk by a Bantha skeleton. So I don't know what it is with Robert Rodriguez and what he has against the Banthas and why he doesn't want them to be alive, but I think we we got to start a petition is what I'm saying. Um Tim writes in and he said did it seem to you that the way Boba got revenge on the biker gang uh, ie killing them all while they were virtually defenseless added some gray to his morality and took a step back from the notion that he's now just a quote unquote good guy I would I would even put on top of that that like not only did he kill them while they were defenseless but the person that was in this was this co-pilot for this mission had already spoken up and that she believed that they were not responsible
3: I I mean, like, I don't think anybody, I don't, at least I have not operated under the assumption whatsoever that Boba Fett is a good guy. He went in and said, I want to operate the crime trade here. Like, what made anybody <laughs> think he was going to be a benevolent? Like, dude, like his previous occupation was like, literally hunting, like sentient beings, like, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like he 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 has not made a transition to good guy. Slightly less bad guy, maybe, but he's not a good guy.
2: Plus, even if they're not responsible for the desk of the death of the Tuscan Raiders, he saw them doing some like heinous shit and like being just dicks to everybody. So, like, you know, who cares? Yeah, they, they I deserve mean,
1: like, to die.
3: No, it's not like he's <laughs> Batman where he's had this like code of no killing. Yeah, he's a bounty right?
2: hunter. <laughs> or at least he was. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Um I don't know, it's a strange thing, you know, Star Wars fans. Uh I, I think it stems from them all thinking that Boba Fett was like this, you know, badass take no pres- like, you know, uh what's that line? Uh, n- uh no disintegrations, like that whole thing. And I mean if you saw think- if
2: you saw a gang of criminals raiding someone's home where they where they presumably killed them. And you also see them like you know, acting like fools yeah. in like a bar and harassing people, and you have the like ability to like dispatch with them. What wouldn't you think that that's probably your responsibility?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I mean I'm not disagreeing there. I I just think this is a maybe more of a comment on the fandom and how they've re- reacted to Boba Fett so far. You know, right before we went on. To record this podcast, uh, Steel Wars. If if you know him on Twitter, he tweeted out, "It's odd that when fans see something they like, it just prompts them to talk about the things they didn't like as much." <laughs> um, and I think that's a problem with the Star Wars fandom. So, anyways, um, yeah, I I don't think he's a good guy. I don't think any do any of us think he's a good guy here. Yet, I like I I think he might be working his way. Maybe he, he's in transition, from like a, a really bad dude to like just kind of bad dude.
2: I'm not sure if you're running a, a criminal underground organization, <laughs> if you can like ever really be a good guy.
3: Yeah, yeah, fair, fair enough. I mean, I mean, like, did anybody look at The Godfather and go, you know, Michael Corleone? He's a really great guy. <laughs>
1: No, but you know what? Everybody watched, or not, I want to say everybody. I want to say like half the people that watched Breaking Bad thought that Walter White was the good guy in the thing, which is baffling to
3: me. But anyway. I think that says more about our culture than it does Walter White.
1: Yeah. No, no, I I, 100% agree. <laughs> Brian, you were you're, uh, saying what I am trying to say. I think this is about the fans, not about yeah, the show. Yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs>
1: Um, okay, let's, uh, we got one more email and then we'll get into it. I know that this, uh, episode has a lot, so we, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Tyler from Seattle writes in, why did Boba think that his armor was in the Sarlacc pit when he knows they climbed out of the pit wearing it? In fact, it helped him escape the pit in the first place. Unless he thinks the armor came off his back, it came off him and back into the pit while he's climbing out. I don't, I know that he doesn't know that the Jawas took it but it makes no sense why he would think
3: it's in the pit. So I've been thinking a lot about this and my thinking <laughs> I, is, I, is I, that, didn't, I, I didn't think this would bother you, Brian, or this would be something that you'd think about. Um. So the thing is, is like, where is he logically going to go to start looking for his armor? The place, the last place he knew he had it. And he looks around the wreckage And maybe we skipped that part in the narrative, and we—I mean, like, how fun would it be to spend ten minutes of Book of Boba Fett with him in a a Beskar, you know, metal detector, pilfering through the sand? Um, He's going to the last place he looks for clues. My problem with that scene isn't that he went back to look for his armor at the Sarlacc or think that it was inside. The thing that I disliked about that scene is that it didn't actually. Resolve anything because he didn't find Any clues to know that the Jawas Might have taken it so it was Like they went there for a cool Sequence learned nothing and Left
1: (laughs) Does um Brian you know more about Sarlaccs than I do Do the Sarlaccs move around in The sand or do
3: they stay still Um I think they say still. I mean like the the pit of Carcoon is a an ancient thing that they've talked about on Tatooine forever and that's where the mouth of the Sarlacc is. Um so my guess is they they pick a spot and they stay there.
1: Hmm. Cuz I was thinking maybe like maybe he thought he got out of his armor and then like it moved you know the Sarlacc moved a little bit and engulfed it. Oh no. know. I-, I think we're thinking way too much about this. So Brad, do you have any theories on why Boba went back to the Sarlacc bet.
2: I mean, I think Brian's has the most, uh, sound <laughs> reason, reasoning. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, we talked about how this was kind of just a silly, unnecessary sequence anyway, and didn't really hold any water. So, you know, it, it is what it is.
1: Okay. Let's, uh, jump into our brief thoughts on the book of Boba Fett chapter five. Uh, you know, I'm going to start things out and I'll, I'll be very brief. Um, cause I know you guys probably have a lot to say. Uh, I this was totally not what I expected this episode to be or I think what anybody expected this episode to be in in a great way, but it also has me asking questions. Um, I was kind of expecting Mando to show up at like the end of the episode, but for us to get basically like a full length episode of the Mandalorian and not just a an episode of the Mandalorian like filling in gaps or something like that like this episode like, is chock full of, like, developments and setups and payoffs that, like, I, I can't imagine you watching The Mandalorian Season 1, Season 2, and then jumping into Season 3 without seeing this episode. I don't even understand how it would be possible. But um, uh, in, in a way, it felt like a comic book. Like, uh, when you read the Star Wars comic books, it felt like, you know, last week was was the uh, the Book of Boba Fett issue that teased Mando was coming and then this was the Mando episode and then next week's going to be the the Fett episode where uh, we get the we get we finally get the crossover between the two um but uh yeah and i liked the uh, bryce uh, bryce dallas howard uh I, in season one i was not real. i didn't really uh wasn't really impressed with her season two she kicked some serious ass and here this is a tour de force of star wars give her a movie already um yeah i really really enjoyed this episode i'm not sure it's a, a book of bubba fett episode more than a mandalorian episode but uh brian
3: what did you think I think this is a really shrewd move on Favreau's part, right? He's got a very limited series, and I don't get the impression, and I have no idea because they don't really release numbers, but that at least just based on the social media reaction and Facebook Facebook and Twitter and stuff, that fewer people are watching this than we're watching The Mandalorian. And now you have five episodes in a full blown episode of the Mandalorian where people are going like, Holy Snokes, we've got some answers from what happened in season two. And we, we have a hint of where season three is going and, and he wants to get Grogu armor and everybody's going to be lining up that had been holding off on it to come back and watch this. Having said that about this episode, I think this is my favorite of the season so far and I can't tell if it's because I'm a bigger fan of Din Jaren than I am of Boba Fett or it's just, this is a better constructed episode that actually has like, well, I mean, it, this is the reason it has a narrative mystery that forces me to engage with it as an audience member to ask questions about what's happening next and why, right? Like the entire opening sequence I'm asking like, what part of the timeline is this? Why is Din Djarin here? Oh, he has the darksaber. Okay, so the, he's gone back to bounty hunting? Oh, no, he's looking for someone. Who is he looking for? You know, it, it engaged me on a really um, a high level where the rest of the episodes just haven't because it's been stuff that we knew and could have assumed.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree there. Uh, Brad, do you have any brief thoughts on this episode?
2: Yeah, I agree with Brian. This is my favorite episode of the series by far. And it's because it's an episode of The Mandalorian and not an episode of the Book of Boba Fett. And unlike Boba Fett, we have a character that we've come to uh, root for, that we come to understand, that we have emotional investment in. And it's a character who, even though he, he shared similarities to Boba Fett by being this ruthless bounty hunter, he's been broken down because having Grogu in his life and turning him into this adoptive father and softening him, And giving him something to fight for, whereas with Boba Fett, we don't know what why he's doing what he's doing. It doesn't matter to us. We don't have any investment in him as a character because everything that we previously knew about him was so limited that we're not necessarily invested in him as a character. We're invested in him um, as iconography, as something that you know what the mystery about him was was so compelling. And so far, what we've been given about Boba Fett isn't anywhere near as interesting as anything fans liked about him before, or even the stories that existed in star Wars legends, they've taken him in a completely different direction. And when you bring in a character like Mandalorian and you have an episode like this, it, it, unfortunately, it feels like Lucas almost kind of shot themselves in the foot by being like, uh, Oh, here's the thing that you really liked. And it's way better than the thing we're trying to show you. Um, it's that kind of Mm -hmm. like, it goes against that rule of like, don't mention, uh, a better movie uh, in the movie that you're trying to make. Cause you don't want to remind the audience that there's a better movie out there that they could be watching instead.
3: I, I wonder if we're going to see the next two episodes, which are the final two episodes of the season, or if it's even a limited or if it's going to go on to another season. Um, really involve Din Jaren across the board and have people really forgive the first four episodes for saying, OK, I needed that context for how great the last three episodes were.
2: Well, and that, and actually what it makes me wonder, too, is maybe that this series was always meant to be kind of like a one off uh, and like an, a real true spinoff in the sense that it filled in this gap. It uh, brought Boba Fett back to like the, um, the forefront of Star Wars. Also, that he could become part of something bigger that involves the Mandalorian. So maybe we have got his past. We we know where he's at now, and maybe this will all tie into the Mandalorian storyline, and they'll it'll continue going forward uh, together. Because when you think about it, the title, the Book of Boba Fett, kind of feels like it's its own isolated thing, like this just quick little story. That serves as a connection to push forth something bigger. So I, I wonder if this is like this episode is kind of that gateway to like really bringing them together again and forging ahead, you know, and having them both with uh, have a storyline that is intertwined from here on out.
1: I definitely think cool. it's going to be yeah. I definitely think it's going to be intertwined. I I almost wish they had, you know, this is so bold, but I almost wish that when the title came up. It didn't say the Book of Boba Fett, and it was like the Mandalorian chapter, whatever. And it was just like, whoa, we're getting an episode of the Mandalorian in the, the, you know, Book of Boba Fett season. I mean, that's basically what it was. I mean, I was waiting uh, for
2: them to use the Mandalorian theme when they brought up the the chapter title, but they didn't do
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, do, Do any of, do either of you have problems with this being an all Mandalorian episode. And by that, I mean, we have two episodes left. This is like, we're in the end game of this season in this and the it, storyline, and it seems like, and we can talk about this later, but it seems like this is not like the end of this. It seems like, you know, Din has another, more stuff to do that's going to take us further away from the Boba Fett storyline like, does, the, does this become distracting to this as a, as a series, like as a season or series?
2: Well, personally, and this is just a theory, I'm not necessarily sure that the next episode is going to show us Mandalorian going to try and meet up with Grogu before he goes to meet up with Boba Fett. Part of me feels like that's a tease for season three and that they might do some like back and forth cutting in the premiere of season three to show mando maybe going to see grogu or perhaps he will get interrupted on his way to see grogu and like will continue along with the, uh, the boba fett storyline rather than us focusing solely on what mando is up to
1: brian what do you think I- and not not in that like it, will we see it or will we not see it but what do you think of the like this being a detour in this season I, to
3: me, this feels very natural. If you're looking at a book, right? Like they're, they're framing this, even with the title as a book, how often have you read a book and then all of a sudden you lose your main characters and they show you a side character and build that side character up over a chapter of their own and then bring them into the narrative. Yeah.
1: I right? mean, that, like, that happens
3: often. Yeah. And, and I think that's what this is. Um, that's something that they would do in Saturday matinee serials, right? They'd leave the hero and uh, they'd dangle the the hero off a cliff in one episode, and then they would make you squirm and wait by going off and and following the villain or some other character or whatever in the next episode, so that when you come back two episodes later, you're still you're even more hyped up about what's going to happen. I think this is totally natural to the star wars form of storytelling and like a like a book like they're billing it as yeah no
1: i i don't disagree with that uh I, although i will say if they do a whole an, an additional episode that's just mandalorian it will seem weird to me one yeah, episode I... seems okay
2: yeah, I think if you're right. If they if they keep it going, focusing on, on Mando, then I think that would be an issue. But th- this feels like the right kind of detour to do it for an episode.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh do you guys have anything else to say before we get into our breakdown? Sounds like not. Okay. Uh so the Mandalorian walks into this meat packing plant run by a bunch of clatonian Clatonians? Clatonians? Is that how you pronounce it? Clatonians? Yeah, clatoonians um so i don't know i i I honestly hate having the conversation of like this doesn't feel like star wars it's like the least fun conversation for me to have but for me the butcher back room looks too contemporary and not star wars to me what did you guys think i don't know
2: No, it felt, and, it, it felt
1: it, and you know what? It might be that the meat hanging looked like it could just be like cows. And in the concept art, it showed like alien, like. It was like uh, tauntauns in yeah. the concept
3: art or something like tauntauns. I um, mean,
2: it's like meat looks like meat, you know, if it's been skinned yeah. and that kind of thing. Like, it's kind of hard to tell the difference unless you can see like the actual anatomy as far as like where the bones were and stuff like that. So no, I thought it was, it was perfectly fine, especially like remnant of like a criminal underworld set. we've seen uh, plenty of criminal underworld stuff happening in like meat coolers and, you know, back rooms like that.
3: Yeah. It felt very Scorsese to me, which again, like, I think star Wars to me does its best work when it's sort of reformulating The stuff the directors love and the the film influences they love, and it felt like, yeah, like you could have put the scene in Goodfellas and it would have been perfect, right? Especially the delivery of "I can bring you in warmer, I could bring you in cold this time." It felt like a punchline.
2: Yeah, and especially the way like the the boss was talking to is like, no, that's not me.
1: Yeah, (laughs) doesn't even look like me.
3: Yeah,
1: (laughs) and you're talking about uh, Kaba Baez right I think yeah uh, and he's uh, played by a guy that he he also uh, the the actor here played a Katunian boss in the in the last episode but different act uh, different character and uh, this is a a stunt performer who worked on the avatar and the sequels coming up and also the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi show so um, I do want to bring up that Bryce Dallas Howard's first season episode of The Mandalorian uh had Mandalorian going head to head with Clatoonian uh Raiders in that um on that planet. Uh if you remember On that. Sir
3: uh Sir Sirgan? Sir Yes, I
1: think I think you're right. Sir Yeah, I think you might be right. Uh in, in this episode, it's also directed by her. And there he's again. So it starts off with them going head to head with them, so I don't know. I just like the Saurigan, sorgon yeah. So uh, a standoff lands, or uh, there's like that whole standoff where he's like, "Oh, that's not me," whatever. Leads to this whole action sequence where where uh, all the goons are trying to take Mando out, and he makes short work of them. But actually, not. I want to say short work because it doesn't seem like he knows how to use that dark saber that well and um he even gets a flesh wound and i actually kind of like this because i feel like everybody thinks that that once they get the lightsaber it's the lightsaber that does all the work and it, the lightsaber makes you badass but uh as you saw luke in a uh, new hope th- th- that's certainly not the case you need to learn how to use it and uh, I, I like that he's not instantly awesome because he has a dark saber
3: I really liked that too. I mean, it was one of those things where in the old role playing games and stuff, it was like, yeah, if you're not a Jedi, you can't use a lightsaber. You're going to cut your leg off or you're going to cut your arm off. And, um, you know, people would always say, well, Han used it. And it's like Han used it for about four seconds and then got away with it, uh, you know, got away from it after he stuffed Luke into that Tauntaun. Um, wielding it in a fight is something else. And really seeing Din take that damage was funny because I think, I, I don't know, it's just funny to see Dinge sort of like, I'm going to come up with this badass weapon and really hurt myself badly with it. Um, <laughs> But it also showed how deadly the weapon was and how he's not messing around. Brad, do you have any thoughts on this whole sequence?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I guess, you know, unless you're uh, a droid with four arms, it's probably pretty difficult to wield weapons like this. Um. <laughs> But I, I also did appreciate, too, that it feels like the Darksaber comes, like, with some weight to it, you know? Because, like, uh, even when anybody else uses a lightsaber, like, it, it feels like it's a lightweight weapon. But, like, the Darksaber, really, you, you feel it's heft when Mandalorian is struggling to, to wield it.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so he leaves with the head of the guy that he came there for and... He he offers that like the people outside uh, some New Republic credits uh, the workers uh, so that they won't uh, hurt him, and cut to the chapter five: Return of the Mandalorian. Um, I almost like at first, Brian, when I was making my notes for this podcast, I was like, no, no obvious secret meaning here, but then I went back to it, Brian. <laughs> First of all, it's a very Star Wars title here. Return of the... Yeah not Jedi, but Mandalorian. Uh, but also, I'm wondering, could this be talking about not just Din, but the Mandalorian people?
3: Well, I think with how much time we spend with the Armorer and her explaining things uh, and and building that exposition and filling in holes and details... I think that that's absolutely what that means. And I think that's where this is heading. It's a fight to see who can reunite and bring back glory to Mandalore after the genocide that occurred there.
1: By the way, I just love this episode so much. I I don't know. It was just I don't know why I loved it. Uh, Is it because I like Din more than... Boba Fett. I, I'm not sure if that's the case. I'm not sure if it's that I'm more invested in his story. And I mean, I am more invested because we've gotten two seasons of it. Um, but I, I think I love how much how Star Wars this episode was. Like it just features aspects of the entire galaxy from like, you know, there's those droids and that ship from the prequels, and there's that droid from the video game, and there's um uh you know, it just seems to, like, feature, like, there's the droid from from uh, Rogue One, there's, you know, that type of, it just, like, it seems to encompass, like, not just, like, original trilogy era, but, like, everything.
3: I think there's, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a VHS release of the Star Wars movies that came out after Phantom Menace, of the original trilogy, Um And it came with, and this is, I mean, aside from the fact that I really like collecting versions of Star Wars, but it came with a a tease for Attack of the Clones, and they showed some interviews and stuff. But there was a trailer that had, for the first time I'd ever seen, intercut shots of Phantom Menace with the rest of the movies. And it just kind of gave me the chills where it's like, all of this is the same. And this episode really did that. I mean, to your point, like... It, it crossed over everything and treated it all with like a reverence that I think as a Star Wars fan is really cool. And, you know, you're going to see less of that segregation of the eras as years go on because there are people who are as ardent fans of the prequels as there were that original generation of, um, of the original trilogy. And you're going to see that, you know, 10 years from now, all this stuff is going to incorporate the sequel trilogy the same way.
1: By the way, I was gonna say it, maybe it doesn't include the sequel trilogy, but they do have a reference to the sequel trilogy. We'll get we'll we'll get to that. Um, okay, so after the uh, the the chapter heading, we see this enormous ring space station, which I guess is like that thing from Halo, which I never played. Um, it's positioned near a star, and the cool thing about this is that it's not a full loop, so. That allows the sunlight to create day and night in the inner band uh, from the shadow of the the exterior of the, of that space station. I don't know. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, do do you, guys, you guys have any thoughts on the this? Actually, Brian, is this any? Is this a new world?
3: Yeah, um, I looked to try to see if I could find any info about it being the Ring of Kafrene, which was which was featured in Rogue One. But I think this is entirely new. And I thought it was really cool to your point. One of the things I love the most about it was when you look at the backgrounds and it's almost certainly put together with the void um, or the volume um, is that the light, the really harsh starlight on it looks like the way they photographed the original death star surface. Like the light on the gray looks very, a new hope, especially not even just the movie, but the way Ralph McQuarrie set up the the color palette of that environment in his paintings beforehand.
1: Brad, uh, do you have any thoughts on this whole new uh, space station or whatever it is?
2: Yeah, I love this. And I would love to see much more of this uh, in the future because Star Wars has often dabbled in worlds that look somewhat similar to each other across the trilogies, whether it's a Sandy planet or a snowy planet or a jungle planet or whatever. And this is something that is pretty different uh, as far as like what kind of location it is and like the, the the general geography of it. And what I also liked about it is that it brought us into like a different, you know, uh, sort of like underground world that doesn't exactly resemble much like we've seen before without completely overdoing it. Like, uh, I really hated that mod parlor scene in the previous episode. But here we do get to see like a venture into like kind of a different kind of upscale nightclub that's kind of like feels like it could easily be like a um, a mob bar, or, like a casino kind of thing that's part of this much larger uh, world. It almost felt like this is the kind of place we would have visited in that abandoned uh, criminal underworld video game that Lucasfilm was developing before uh, it got sold to, to Disney and the, the project was completely abandoned. Um, so yeah, this I, I would love to see more stuff like this popping up in Star Wars in the future.
1: Yeah, and it might also be that it's so striking because we've spent so much of this season on Tatooine, which I know has been a criticism, uh, but it was cool to I see mean, Mando even- Limp... Yeah, even
2: Mandalorian, th- though, has a lot of similar things. You know, like, Navarro oh, yeah. is very similar to Tatooine. You know, he went to the a snow planet. You know, uh, either, there weren't a lot of different uh, geographic locations or environments that we we saw in Mandalorian. So this was a nice change of pace.
3: That That's something that Bryce Dallas Howard's good at. The, like, I, I personally really loved her first episode in the first season on Sorgan, but Sorgan was such a cool environment with the little krill shrimp ponds and the... The huts and things like that it felt different than a lot of environments we've been in in Star Wars and the the deeper we get into Star Wars the harder it's going to be to give us an environment that feels new. Yeah, yeah,
1: um, I thought it was cool to see Mando limping through the streets in the nighttime part of the station in the sun or the star um, light was coming up in the daytime portion, like kind of like fastly approaching him as he was walking towards it. So Mando boards this turbo lift and there's an alien inside this turbo lift with like a pointy head. Uh, Do either of you know what kind of species this is? Is this something we've seen before?
3: I think it's a Bardotin, but I'm not sure... um... Jar Jar's girlfriend was a Bardada and was Queen Bardada um, of that Jar- species. Jar had a girlfriend? Have you not watched Clone Wars? Uh, there's episodes so, that I've missed
1: of Clone Wars. There's
3: a two-episode arc in the Lost season, which was, I guess, built to season six, six called The Disappeared, the team's Jar Jar with Mace Windu, and Queen Bardada of the Bardadans asks specifically for Jar Jar's help with this and Jar Jar gets the girl while Mace Windu does all the work and it's got some cool raiders, you know, like like Indiana Jones kind of stuff in it and some like thuggy style cult machinations. Um It's there are a couple of really fun episodes. Um I think that's what it is, but I could be wrong. Um There's a lot of fish looking creatures in the galaxy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um Okay. So he arrives at this private party where he tries to trade the head for some information and i it, i personally i think the coolest thing about this whole sequence is that it's one single shot and i'm guessing it's done on that stagecraft stage and it it's almost like he, he gets into the turbo lift and it looks like all dark and dingy he gets into the turbo lift and he goes up and it's not that the elevator is going up. The screen around him is showing imagery that is changing the floor. And then when he gets out, the the, the production has, you know, moved the party out to like where he had just walked in into that space. And he, he, you know, he walks into the room and then it ends with him going down the elevator again. And by the time he gets out of the, the turbo lift, you know, all, you know, all the people that were at that party and stuff, has been removed. And the lighting has been dramatically changed because of the stagecraft. I don't know. I, I just, it's kind of the brilliant use of stagecraft that I would have expected from a young Robert Rodriguez. If that makes sense. Um, so I, I don't know on a filmmaking level, I was just kind of very impressed by that.
3: Yeah, no, uh, I think I think the filmmaking in this is really terrific. Yeah. Um uh,
1: okay, so uh there's another <laughs> alien species at the the head of this table. Do we know what that that's, is?
3: Yeah, that's an Teeb. Um they Teeb first appeared in Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi. Um they're a little bit more green. There were also some on Clone Wars. This particular one is played by a woman named uh, I want to say Sarah Hadley. Um, but she's done a whole bunch of Star Wars work actually. So she's the voice Helen, of Rey and Helen, the Lego Sadler? Stuff. Helen, Helen Sadler. Yes. Um, Helen Sadler. She's done the voice of Ray and all the Lego stuff. And she's a voice on the old Republic and um, just has done a lot of Star Wars stuff over her career. Um, and, and uh yeah it was it was
1: cool yeah she even voiced Jin urso in a forces of destiny short yes yeah uh so eventually mando is told to go down to this alley to the heat vent towers and uh yeah uh, so so mando follows this like he kind of puts on like some kind of air vision that can see like uh I don't know, heat signatures or something. And he sees these glyphs on the walls uh, that leads him to a catwalk to the dark side of the ring world where he finds the armorer, which I was actually kind of surprised to see her here because correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a while since I've seen the last season of the Mandalorian, but I thought she had died or it had been insinuated that she kind of went down with the, the
3: ship. Not um,
1: like an actual chef, but like the Yeah, no, you know? I mean
3: she was she was last seen taking like like covering his escape. And then when we go back, the place is like deserted and getting picked through, and there's dead stormtroopers and Mando helmets everywhere. But we didn't actually see her helmet. So I yeah. think we just filled in that blank ourselves.
1: Fair enough. Okay. Um so Paz Vizla. Helps fix Mando's wound, and uh, you know I, I found it strange. I'm sure this is just a a credit a contract thing, but Tamora Morrison actually gets the top credit on this episode. He doesn't even appear in the episode, but he's <laughs> the the first name in in the credits. Yet the actor playing Paz gets no credit. How is that possible? Well, right. <laughs> I mean the it's a contract Rachel- thing. You know it. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, he has well,
3: actual but, speaking
1: role. Like, I, I think in past, uh, the, wasn't it John Favreau?
3: Yeah, I was going to say, he has credits on the episode, he just didn't take one for this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, Paz confirms that the sacrifice of the Mandalorian means that there are only three of them left in this sect, and the armor asks to see the dark saber and she gives the history of this ancient weapon. It was cool to get all this cool lore. Um, but I think the big thing here is that it's established that it must be one in combat. I mean, that's something we knew before, but like, uh, establishing in this, this live action universe, uh, that it must be one in combat. If not, it'll be a curse for the Mandalorian nation. And, um, She also mentions uh, Vizsla's ancestry and uh, the Mandalorian Jedi who first wielded the saber. Um, Do you think any of this is more than just history? Do you think this is a setup for anything? Or do you think it was basically just a setup for Vizsla to try to take on him minutes later?
3: I I think this is absolutely a setup for stuff in the future. Like, Bo-Katan is a character who... This explains the discrepancy that we all kind of talked about over the last season, that Sabine Wren just hands her the Darksaber and she goes to rule Mandalore, but then the Empire just wipes them out. And you have this act saying, well, that was because there was a curse on it, and if you don't win it in combat, you're going to scatter the Mandalorians to the four winds. And Bo-Katan probably thought that was a superstition because, according to these folks, she lost the way. And, uh, seeing the night of a thousand tears, uh, seeing a night of a thousand tears in person and having her people completely lost and then losing it to Moff Gideon. Um, yeah, like I think she could get a little superstitious about it at that point. I think this is heading straight for a conflict with Bo-Katan. And that was one of the biggest questions I had coming out of this episode was, What does the departure from that from Moff Gideon's ship look like between the Mandalorian and Bo-Katan? Was there a fight there? Has something happened to her that we don't know? Why did she bide her time to leave and not try to take it? Or has she given up her ambitions for it? It raises a lot of really interesting questions, and that's why I was really excited to see this explanation in here. And in a way that didn't feel like an info dump, right? We know all this stuff about um tar Vizla. we saw that in rebels we know all this stuff about bo-katan um ruling and losing mandalore we saw it in rebels and heard about it in Mandalor- uh, mandalorian season two but this puts it together in a way because of the jump in time uh that really adds to the narrative mystery of the show and i think that's one of the things the book of boba fett has been lacking so far One question
1: I have is, you know, it seems like Bo-Katan is blamed here for what happened on Mandalore, at least by these Mandalorians, and Sabine was the one that gave her the Darksaber, and we know that Sabine is probably going to show up, or actually we know that she's going to show up in the Ahsoka show. Brad, do you think Sabine is going to have any blame against her on what happened to uh, the Mandalorian people?
2: Uh, I mean... I, it does it would make sense I, I suppose I mean there's so many different uh ideologies here and now as far as like who the Mandalorians are supposed to be and like what uh I guess how true they are to whatever they believe you know the Mandalorian way of life to be that like there's bound to be more conflict even than there is between koker Reeves and uh Mando's sect and that kind uh not Koska Reeves, Pocatan um and the you know all these different sects so i I think like it like they're all gonna come to a head eventually.
1: Yeah, maybe they're going. Th- maybe they have to work together in the end, Brad. If they well, want to save their.
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I've never seen anything like that before, so I doubt it, Peter. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, what were you going to say, Brian? I was going to say it. It adds if that's where they're really heading with the Mandalorian about who's going to be the Mandalore, um, then then that. Sort of shades even just the title of the show, where you get not just the the title character Din Jaren, and, and that's an interesting choice. And I would really, that was one thing I think we all talked about loving when we talked, we did this for the Mandalorian season two, where it was like we love that they're showing Din every sort of stripe of people who wear Mandalorian armor, whether they're Mandalorians or not, um, w- what their codes are, and exposing him to all of that, and now if they're heading to having them all fight him for what being a Mandalorian really is, that's, I think that's really cool. Good storytelling.
1: Yeah. Um, The armor says, uh, quote, the songs of the past foretold of the mythosaur rising up to herald a new age of Mandalore. Sadly, it only exists in legends. When I heard this, I was like, is this just a fun Legends reference, or is there more to this? Are we going to see the Mythosaur rise up to herald the New Age of Mandalore in this series? What do you think?
3: I think it's just some cool shit to say. You think it's just some cool it's shit like, to say? Okay. I mean, it's like, it's it's is Ezekiel 2517, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can totally see that. Okay, so... Uh, Uh,
1: she doesn't believe that Gideon is going to get his due, uh, for killing all the Mandalorian people. And, uh, I'm guessing we're going to see more of him in Mandalorian season three, but we'll see. Um, we also get the backstory of Bo-Katan and how she lost her way, uh, the way, and thus lost Mandalore. And then we get to see the Knight of a Thousand, uh, Tears which uh how cool was this uh, brad what, what are your thoughts on this whole uh i guess it's not a flashback it's kind of like a vision
2: i mean it's a bit of a flashback uh yeah. you know it's, it's presented in like the style of um a vision but yeah i mean it's as somebody who hasn't uh spent a lot of time with the the animated shows whether it's you know clone wars or rebels and stuff like that i like that they're bringing this mythology into live action not only to you know sort of bring it to audiences who are in the same position but just because it continues to you know i guess solidify what's what's there and expand the the universe of star wars because so much of the movies have you know been isolated to the story stories of the skywalker family and things that happened tangentially to them or characters tied to that story uh, and even though there still is some of that in the, these Clone War stories, it expands the universe a lot more by digging into the mythology of the Mandalorians and a lot of these other different sects um, of the, the Star Wars galaxy that we haven't really explored a lot because we've been so preoccupied with the Jedi and the Sith and the Rebels and the the Empire or you know the the First Order and the um, the Resistance and what have you. So I, I like that they're starting to do stuff like this, even though it is still with some familiar characters, it makes the universe feel bigger.
1: Yeah. And uh, Brian, you were saying earlier before the filmmakers and storytellers of that do star Wars kind of referencing the stories and films that that they love. And sometimes that's very subtle and you're really, really good at pointing that out. And other times it's very obvious and it's the stuff that I bring up. Like this is totally Terminator with K2 droids.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, no, Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that's and, and that's, I think, very specifically why they use K2 droids. Um, but I, I also think there's a story idea there, too, in that Moff Gideon is the one who's trying to do the dark trooper program with the robots. Uh, the Empire very traditionally uses stormtroopers. And Moff Gideon being the one responsible for Night of a Thousand Tears and then transitioning that into the Dark Trooper program is a really interesting story evolution that they tell with nothing more than the cool imagery. Yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, Okay, so we learn that those who walked the way escaped the curse, or at least in their belief, uh, Mandalorian is convinced to melt the Beskar steel. Um, It's kind of presented as this thing of like, you know this could hurt your people we should you know melt it um i kind of think it's like i don't want this to hurt me we should get rid of this kind of thing but uh i could be wrong uh so he decides to have her make it into like i'm guessing it's chainmail because we saw some of it uh for grogu and uh I, uh, I th- It seems very interesting that they gave him this Beskar spear, this powerful Beskar spear, kind of at the end of Mandalorian season two. And then the first time we see him with it, uh, they basically take it away from him.
3: But I think this has a um, thematic tie to the Jedi and how he says the, the Jedi are like the opposite of what we what we are. Right, yeah. Where he, she's like, the Jedi have to forego all attachments, but then she turns around and gives him a bit of Jedi wisdom, where like this is for you know essentially knowledge and defense, never for attack. Yeah, but with something close to them.
1: Um, and also the other thing, and we talked about this later, but I was honestly expecting Mando to try to live his life without Grogu, and like the fact of him like trying to go back to Grogu, I didn't think that was gonna happen. So instantaneously, I thought like they were gonna try to do a Mandalorian show without Grogu for a while, but it seems like that might not be the case. I don't know. Um, so the armorer tries to tell Mando that he can't have a relationship, uh, with Grogu as a Jedi because what you said the attachments. Um, and we talk about that later if like we think that's gonna come into play, but uh, Mando practices using the Darksaber with the help of the armorer. But doesn't do too hot. Like he, he feels like it's heavy. She says he's not fighting with it, but fighting against it. Um, is this a metaphor, Brian?
3: Um, I mean, like naturally, it is in the same way any martial arts movie is going to have yeah. a master say cryptic things to their student. But it also reflects a little bit. Um, Kane and teaching Sabine how to fight with it too. She was not like Mandalorians are not like disposed to fighting this way. Right. They've, they've evolved over the years to fight the, against the Jedi without the use of their weapons. Um, and, and that's really what a Mandalorian has, has done. And Sabine had very much the similar struggle. And if you watch rebels, uh, in the episode where Kanan tries to teach her with it, which is one of the best episodes of the show, uh, that has a lot of best episodes. Um, it, it's very similar in that way. I would want to point out too, the things she's calling out are actually numbers in the Mandoa language that had been sort of built for the Legend Star Wars Legends universe. So she's just counting out one, two, three, four at him in in Mandalorian.
1: Oh, okay, uh, and by metaphor, I meant like I, I was suggesting that maybe, maybe the dark Darksaber represents something that he you know represents a, a call to him to try to restore mandalore and maybe he just wants to go you know be grogu's no, father and like it, it's like he doesn't fully accept wanting to use that and and take I up think that mandalore
3: that there's definitely that subtext there especially the moment in um the last episode uh of I say the last episode because it was the last episode of The Mandalorian, <laughs> his last episode where Bo-Katan's like, uh, I really wanted that saber. And he just kind of hands it to her like, no, take it. It's yours. I don't care. And uh, she's like, no, I can't do that.
1: Yeah. And uh, we now know why. Um, OK, so this leads to Paz Vizsla challenging Mando for to a duel for his uh, ancestral sword uh, so, uh, Brad, what did you think of this whole dueling sequence?
2: It was great. I mean, it's, it's just, it, this is like good, you know, Mandalorian kind of stuff. And like, I like seeing, uh, that this, they have these traditions and this way of life. And, you know, it was, it's nice to see Mando, uh, Mando, uh, struggling with something like this, you know, he's been so, uh, good at dispatching with, you know, thugs and other bounty hunters and. Stormtroopers and things like that, but between this and um, you know him struggling with the dark saber, even when he's fighting the clatoonians it's it's cool to see him not be such uh, a skilled character. And so um, I I think that was the thing that I I like the most. Plus, just you know, a a good Mandalorian versus Mandalorian fight is is always going to be entertaining.
1: Yeah, I also think it's interesting in the end. He ends up winning that that battle, but he ends up winning it by losing the dark saber and actually using his vibroblade. So, um, I'm
3: not sure what. I that think that's some say. foreshadowing. Yeah,
1: yeah, probably. He's probably. he's gonna win by losing it. Yeah. Uh, so the armorer now asks that both of them. I I don't even know why this question comes up, but she asks both of them, have they ever removed their helmets? And uh, he admits that he has. We've seen it happen. It happened a couple times in Mandalorian season
3: two. Actually happened once in season one as well. She asked him in season one and two about it. Or season one. In season one, she asked him about it before she sent him on his mission. She says, if you removed your helmet. It's just that's what she asks everybody. It's like, uh, you know, did you put your did you wipe your shoes off on the mat? Have you taken your helmet off? That kind of thing. Well, he
1: answers truthfully, and just because of that, he's no longer a Mandalorian in her eyes, in their eyes, and they're now a sect of two. So um, she says that uh, one can only be redeemed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, but they have been all destroyed. Uh,
3: Is there any redemption here for for Mando? I think he's going to end up on Mandalore trying to find him and who knows i i, I think that that's definitely the case or he's going to have to grapple with the fact that um what he thought was a mantalorian needs to be personal to him and not dictated by someone else
1: yeah uh so while trying to board a starship to tatooine uh he encounters a security rex droid or rx droid i should say uh it says he must remove all his weapons and there's this real comedy moment that's delightful where he has to like surrender all his weapons. Um, I love uh, Danielle who writes for us. um, She said in our Slack channel, I'm going to quote her here. She, she also wrote a whole article about this, but um, she said, uh, this episode of Boba is great at having relatable real world things alongside the star Wars wackiness elevators, awkward flying commercially miserable, but occasionally the kid in front of you is at least cute. So um I just love that uh her bit on that. I, I
3: wanna I wanna ask you too, um being a fellow you know St- Disney nerd yeah. as well, did it sound during the announcements um during the announcements as he's getting on the Galactic Starliner, if it sounds like the same voice that they have announcing Star Tours or at least you two used oh. to I haven't noticed. I didn't notice. To be honest with you, what I
1: was trying to figure out is who's the voice of the RX Droid. But I, c- I was trying I to figure,
3: it was definitely not Paul Rubens.
1: Yeah, I w- I was gonna guess that it might be Bryce Dallas Howard, but I I see no evidence of that. So I don't know. I- I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that, uh, Brian. I I did not really notice. To be honest with you, um, so the kid in front of him waves. Uh, Waves at him, making him think of Grogu. Uh, they, he has like that um, that chainmail that has been wrapped up for him, and that and that bundle kind of looks like Grogu's head. They're kind of laying on thick here a little bit. Um, by the way, he doesn't land on Tatooine until nearly thirty minutes into this episode.
3: So. I paused it at that point. I was like, "How much of this episode is left?" And just to check the time code. <laughs>
1: Me too. Um, do, do you think this is the same ship that the Pikes, uh, because they arrived in Tatooine? Do you think it was that same voyage or do you think it was like a different? Um,
3: I think if it was the same voyage, they would have actually showed us him getting off with the Pikes.
1: Yeah. 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 Good point. Um, okay. So Mando gets back his weapons from the RX security droid. Nothing seems to be missing. And uh, we see a Womp Rat. Snatch a bd droid. I um is this the first time we've seen a womp Rat in live action, Brian? I I went through the Wikipedia article, and I think we've seen them in an animated show. I think we saw them in droids. I think we might have seen them in a video game and maybe a comic book, but I don't think we've seen them in in live I don't- action.
3: I don't think we have either, and I think that's one of the things that kind of confused some people in the special editions. People instantly saw the the scurriers, saw that they were rats, and were like, wait a second, I thought womp rats were bigger. I think this might be, I could be wrong, but I I, I we might have seen someone, yeah, I don't think we've seen any in live action.
1: I'm just surprised. I, I was doing some searches on Twitter and it didn't seem like anybody was talking about this. And I thought this was, uh, I know I'm a star Wars geek. I totally get this. And like the minutia of this, this stuff is the stuff I live for, but this is a, a creature that, you know, is in a new hope, you know, it was a, it, it was at the beginning of all this thing. We haven't ever seen it until today in live action. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of monumental anyways, but I think more people are talking about the other thing in the scene there's a BD unit. I recognize this uh, from Jedi Fallen Order. I have not played that game. Is this the same droid, or is it the same series of droid?
3: Uh, it's the same series of droid. I don't think I don't think we'll be able to know if it's the same droid until the next game in the that Jedi series comes out, which they just announced that they'd be making a sequel. Um, and who knows? Maybe Cal Kestis finds his way to Pelimato's by the end of his cycle of games and passes his droid along to her but um there's there's no telling that especially with the customizability of bd1 you can have it as any color i don't think there's any way to recognize it specifically because that's one of the things they give you control over in the game um but it was really delightful to see him. I think he was one of the standout parts of that game, like just the character and the expressiveness in a droid so small. And uh, it was great to see him here, especially um, in, in comparing and contrasting him to the other droids that she has has there, which I think had some of the best comedy bits and that there's one comedy bit the pit droids had that, made me laugh so hard that I think was maybe the best or second best joke in the the episode. Which bet? She goes, oh, Din Djarin's here. You guys remember him? And in the background, the pit droids all like, <laughs> as soon as they hear that, or the Mando, as soon as they hear that, they all just like turn on their heels and walk out of frame, like without another word. <laughs> and it was so funny to me.
1: Brad, I got to ask you about this. Uh, Pelimoto, honestly, is not my, you know, we've talked about this at length. It's not uh, my favorite character. It's a little bit too comical. But I know you, you, you're you the resident comedy guy on, on this podcast. So uh, how did this whole sequence uh, live up for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I like having a character like this in the Star Wars universe. It's like not every character is going to be like uh, – Heroic or a, a mysterious anti-hero or a yeah. villain. There's like these weird people in between, and Amy Sedaris does a good job of playing a character like this without being over the top or like she's trying to like land jokes left and right. So it's a it's a nice character to have. She's kind of this this kooky mechanic who knows how to how to get things, provides some comedic relief, and it it, it works for me. It's it's definitely way better than the Looney Tunes cartoon we got in the previous episode <laughs> of Book of Boba Fett. <laughs>
1: By the way, there, were, there was a couple of people that wrote back and it was like, Brad is being way too harsh on that droid.
2: <laughs> I, I, even uh, said, I even said myself, the droid was cool. It was the sequence that sucked.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, so it makes sense that Mando is back on Tatooine because he's there to get his replacement for the Razor Crest, And she has the bones of a Naboo N1 Starfighter, which was handmade by the Royal Guard. Uh, We've seen this in the Phantom Menace. Uh, Did we see this in the other prequel movies or was it just Phantom Menace?
3: We saw sort of iterations on the design where uh, Padme's ship in Attack of the Clones looked like very much a mix of her her J-type Royal Cruiser and one of these ships in Attack of the Clones that gets blown up. Um, and again, you know, they iterate on that design again in Revenge of the Sith, but we never see the N1 starfighter except there. It's made other appearances. Um, I know it played a really important role during Operation Cinder, um, that was trying to save Naboo, uh, Leia and, and, um, Leia actually gets in one alongside the queen to go defend against Operation Cinder, Cinder in the comics, but um, there's a really great bit about them in the Lego Freemaker adventures, which I would say you should watch, but it appears they've been taken off of Disney plus. Um, but, uh, but, well, I think what might've happened, just speculation on my part, is that they're going to be going up on another service somewhere for a while. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, there's a really great bit about them in there but but yeah this is the first time we've really seen them in live action since then aside from star tours i think my favorite bit in the new star tours is with the royal n one nebu starfighter
1: yeah you land and it like punctures the window it's like the only yeah. gag that actually comes out at you like the 3d is yeah. more in that ride is like more going into the distance but it's actually one of the the coolest um, or one of the only like in your face 3d gags. Um, my first thought here is, well, well number one, like uh, it looks cool. Uh, my second thought is, is this the one that uh, we saw from the Phantom Menace? And I would say probably not. It doesn't look like it matches up. Um, and number three was, this is a much smaller ship than the Crest. So if the Mandalorian still wants to be a bounty hunter and he wants to, you know capture bounties and carbon freeze them he doesn't have the room here like this does not seem like a a practical ship for a bounty hunter
3: my thought about that because i i thought about that pretty specifically was that this would be the ship he'd use to get from from place to place because it has hyperspace for now or hyperspace capabilities for yeah. now but um when he eventually gets a bigger ship, it's gonna be able to fit in the cargo hold and it's gonna be like one of those RVs you see driving by with somebody's Jeep tied to the back of it.
1: Yeah. Okay, so Pelimoto is making some custom modifications to the ship. Uh was will make it faster faster than a Father. Father, uh, which is the those uh space horse creatures from The Last Jedi. And I'm gonna I'm gonna Ooh. say this. Uh this is the kind of Star Wars reference I hate, guys. Uh, not because it's it's a reference to a reference, but uh, just to reference it. But like, why would anybody say that? That's like me handing Brad. That's like me handing you a car and being like, Brad, this car is faster than my horse. I mean, I well, would we hope do it's faster cars. than cars. It's like, well, I mean, we, we um, do
3: that with cars with 160 horsepower.
1: Yes, but it's it's faster than 160 cores. Like I don't know, it doesn't sound like yes. I mean, anything that's that impressive.
3: Well,
2: I mean, we do, we do have sayings <laughs> like that, but I in in this case, I I somewhat agree with you because it seems like some of these references are forced as a way to like create similar phrases in the Star Wars universe and they don't always work very well. And so the, in this in this instance I do feel like this one was kind of contrived rather than yeah. feeling like an authentic saying in the Star Wars universe.
1: Um, but more importantly here, uh, this ship was built pre-Empire, so that means it's off the grid and can jump into hyperspace with no docking ring through the modifications. That was like one of the problems with the ships is they ne- needed those docking ring things. Uh, Mando helps renovate the ship, and they uh, it turns out that she's been getting parts for uh, salvaged from Jawas, and she even admits to dating a jawa a while back. We have an article on slash home.com uh, is, is all about that. If you if you want to know more about how this confirms that Java's, uh, jawas uh have intercourse not just with each other but possibly humans and how is that a thing? We have an article on slash home all about that. Uh, for me the the more interesting thing here is we've never known what a jawa looks like underneath that robe, the the robes and she she mentions
3: that they're very furry.
1: For some reason I didn't picture yeah. them be furry. So that uh.
3: that that leads to the second my what I think <laughs> might be the best joke is when she says something offhand and the Jawa says something back to her and she very quickly goes, "No, I'm working on myself." Uh and then says something else <laughs> where it's just like, "Wait, the Jawa just asked her out again and she brushed him off with I'm working on myself." But it goes by so fast that it feels like that classic Star Wars like 1930s, 1940s really quick banter that I really, really loved. And it just made me giggle like an idiot.
1: Yeah, I like that. Uh that, that's followed up with a a montage. We got a montage. Um Brad, any anything cool in the montage you want to point out?
2: Um not not particularly, no.
1: Brad doesn't remember the montage. Uh, remember we the we montage. do have a scurrier. There's a scurrier inside the ship. So that's what many people thought were the Womp Rats. Um, uh, they removed the yellow paint. Uh, I'm trying to think what else happened in the montage. Uh, BV helps out with some holograms.
3: And um, they got one of the pieces from uh, the garbage masher to put inside of it. Wait, what?
1: Oh,
2: that's what that. Yeah, that's right. I thought that looked familiar, and I, I couldn't place it, and then I never followed up on it. But yeah, the that long metal shaft that they. Oh. Up, that's what they try to wedge in between the the garbage compactor walls.
1: Is that the thing that they the Jawa stole from the Pike ship? Yup. Oh, crazy. Okay, I didn't um did did not realize that. I I do recognize it now now that I'm looking at it, um, so. Uh, she mentioned, uh, these critters could find a scrud in a krill pond. Um, and I thought this was an interesting, uh, drop of a star Wars reference because a scrud is an espionage droid. It's a very deep reference. This is a really, really deep reference. I had to go to Wikipedia for this. And, um, it's in only one issue of star Wars adventure journal from West end games, uh which to me, I think confirms that this is we know who who put this reference in in this episode, and his name might uh rhyme with uh Diablo. <laughs> Uh, because he's so obsessed with the West End Game stuff. Anyways, um, the, so uh, yeah, the Pike ship—they they stole the part from the Pike ship. Uh, Pelly mentions that ever since they started running spice through the system, it's basically uh, the the planet's gone to hell, uh, and none of the police are willing to do anything about it. Um, and finally, the N one Starfighter is revealed, and it looks awesome. Brad, thoughts on the the Mando's new ship? Uh,
2: yeah, it is so badass. I love the way this ship looks. It looks like like a hot rod version of the Naboo Starfighter. It's pure, so, such like in tune with Mandalorian style. It, it looks so damn cool. I, I loved it. How many toys do you think they're going
1: to sell of this?
2: <laughs> you, know what, Not, you know what's funny is I, I initially had the cynical thought when I saw the a starfighter i was like oh yeah you know what that is a pretty easy way to like reuse like some of the mold that you have <laughs> of toys and kind of just do like some slight modifications but they actually did do a good job of making it look quite remarkably different than the the actual and the starfighter
3: i um i really really loved it um and and i hope they sell toys of it because that's what i want i loved too how it was pretty obvious what they were doing with the droid port
2: oh yeah it's absolutely meant to be a, a place for grogu to sit
1: my, my yep. question is what else could it be used for it makes no practical sense other than for like a small little creature to fit in
3: there <laughs> um, like it's not I even love- like
1: practical for as a storage compartment
3: I mean, he could fit a backpack or his jetpack in there.
1: Yeah, but why have the bubble then? Why not just have a, like, you know, well, a door? Well, the
3: thing I was, I was thinking about that is because maybe the aerodynamics require the dome of the uh, astromech there. That was the yeah. best thing I could come up with as I was looking at it. And Doug Chang designed the original uh, N1 Starfighter, and he's designing on this show. And, A, I think it's one of the best designs in Star Wars, period. I think. Whatever your feelings about Phantom Menace are, that Starfighter is something that's very iconic and beautiful and elegant and really well designed. And seeing Doug Chang go back and revisit the design and sort of make it a muscle car is super cool. And my guess, he's the sort of guy who does tell stories in his designs like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was the sort of answer he would give based on like... Well, why did you do that? Because he's he's the guy who would have that answer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. By the way, it, just remember when this goes on pre-sale, a couple episodes later they're going to blow it up. Cuz that's what happened with the Razor Crest. <laughs> Didn't like uh they they crowdfunded the Razor Crest and then yeah. like a, oh, couple, yeah. a couple episodes after it was like blown up on the show. It's so funny. Um uh, they, I wanted to mention they they have, like, during this moment, there's, like, this awesome, slow, uh, stringy version of the Mando theme song, which I, I really liked and uh hope they release. Uh, Mando takes the ship out on a test flight, doesn't like it at first, and through the cor- course of events uh, ends up loving uh, this ship. Do you guys
3: have any feelings in this whole sequence? I love it. It felt to me like... I mean, like, I don't know, maybe this is a weird reference, but it felt to me like Superman 1978, where he he takes flight and goes through the clouds for the first time. Yeah. Um, It had that sort of joy to it, but it also, like, it had so much Star Wars in it. Like, the button consoles are identical shot for shot, what Anakin was using in Phantom Menace. Um, He goes out to the pod race track for it, and they take him to Beggar's Canyon, which is... Important in Star Wars, not just uh, from Phantom Menace, but going back to A New Hope where Luke and, and all of his buddies used to dare each other to to drive really fast in their T-16s. Um, and I loved how they actually recreated a shot from the pod race with Din here there's uh, a move around the turn to the service ramp where Sebulba has edged Anakin off of the pod race and he runs up the ramp and then comes down and actually gets ahead of Sebulba the first time they recreated all of that. It's that shot right before the scurrier um, where we get the close up of it.
2: It's exactly like that shot too.
3: Oh yeah. It's I would be like, I, I, Doubt that they went back and recreated that shot because something tells me that shot was likely um, a model or some I, the twenty year old twenty plus year old models that they were using on *Phantom Menace* probably not or, or vis- virtual sets probably not good enough to use on *Mandalorian*. But uh, the recreation of it is chef's kiss. By the way, not a scurrier, but actually another
1: womp rat because uh, the audio description confirms that. So that, oh, okay. that, was, that See, was a
3: It's confusing. It's confusing. Scurriers and Womp Rats, it's just a matter of size.
1: Yeah, and also, uh, you know, I think that's also a callback to the reference of the first time we heard about Womp Rats when uh, Luke talks about the... Uh, it's used to pull yep. my
2: womp Rats back home my T-16. They're not much bigger than two meters.
1: Yeah. Yep. And, and he talk, talked about doing it in Beggar's Canyon. So mm-hmm. it's all connected. All connected. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, he, he also flies by the window of that kid that waved to him and, uh, that kid lives
3: on that starship.
1: <laughs> well, I, okay. I, I, I have an answer for this one, Brian. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind, of, it's kind of like a, um, what do you call that? Like when you, when, when I'm going like to Japan, you gotta, you gotta land somewhere and refuel and then it goes, you know what I mean? Like a, Usually, there's not like a, uh, a, a, what do you call that? A direct flight. Like a layover? Yeah, it's a yeah. layover. layover. Well, yeah, plus, that's the word I'm I want.
2: Well, plus, we also don't know how long they were building that ship. Like, there seemed like there was a pretty decent passage of time. And so, like, maybe he, him and his mom, like, have like a daily commute back and forth to the city where he goes to school and she goes to work or something.
3: Yeah, no, I I was kidding. It was just really great that it was that Rodian kid. These are the first Rodians it seems that have survived an episode of The Mandalorian.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also uh we should mention, I know Brad likes to mention the concept art at the end of the episodes. They it was showed a human concept kid. art. Yeah. It was a human kid with an X-wing toy and an X-wing helmet. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense to make it an an alien kid, so uh, but Mando gets stopped by two Republic X wings, which I think is great because if you're flying that close to uh, like a ship like that, you, you should get pulled over, right? And um, he's pulled over by Lieutenant Reed, who is played by Max Lloyd Jones. And Brian, I'm not sure if you know this, but this is the actor who played Luke Skywalker in Mando season two. So he actually no, I I
3: didn't. I didn't put that aside. It's, it's uh regrettable that they don't give us more time to review these because there's so much more that I would put into my, my recaps and they're already almost <laughs> 2000 words a piece, but this scene so much reminds me of American graffiti and John Milner talking to the cops and being super polite with them.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, and, uh, obviously the, uh, uh, Paul son, uh what's his name Paul Sun gong Li I think yeah uh, Captain Carson something I don't have it in my notes, but uh Carson recognizes- Tava Teva yeah, He recognizes mando's voice from the previous encounter causing mando to jump away uh he lands and Pelimoto asks how was it and I think my favorite deep dive reference of this entire episode he answers wizard which is a callback to that that famous vocabulary word used in Phantom Menace that um Star Wars show was like all like obsessed with for for some time. Uh, what did you guys think of wizard?
3: I have been using wizard in my vocabulary since Phantom Menace came out, so it's very natural to me. And I'm not I'm not actually kidding. I think that's it's so wizard. <laughs>
1: brad what do you think is it a word you don't expect mando to be using it like it, it seems like it's something for the use do you know what i mean
2: yeah it does it does feel like it's slang for the for the kids and uh yeah i'm i'm not quite so enthralled with it as brian is but brian loves the prequels more than most so I'll i'll let him have it <laughs>
3: Well, but think about this, though, generationally, like when when did cool become part of the slang parlance that everybody could use? Wizard has been in use for 50, 60, 70 years at this point. This is this is the the old man's parlance at this point.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, like it also doesn't feel like the kind of slang that someone like Mando would be using. Like since you use cool as like your, you know, to make this point, like. When's the last time you heard, like, uh, a mobster or, or, or an assassin use the word cool so casually like that?
3: I mean, I don't hang out with mobsters or assassins. And, so You know like... what I mean. Like, <laughs> like, like, like <laughs> they, don't, they don't
2: put it in movies and TV and stuff like that. Like, you don't you don't have mobsters and hitmen going, oh, that's cool. Or, yeah,
1: he's cool.
3: Okay, so. Well, they have their own sort of slang, but yeah.
1: <laughs> almost 46 and a half minutes Into this episode before we see a single character from this actual series show up. And Fennec Chan shows up and offers Mando work as Bubba's muscle. Uh, He turns down the credits, offers to do it for free. But before he can, he has to visit a little friend. And we think that friend's name is Grogu. We can talk about that in speculation in just a second. Uh, I... Yeah, I was trying to think what if there's anything else. No, okay, let's talk about that right now. Let's jump into speculation. Brad, you seem to think we're not going to see that next week.
2: Yeah, I mean, it feels like too, mu- too much of a departure, like we talked about earlier, of like them following Mando more than paying attention to Boba Fett. I feel like this episode had to be an aside. It's a nice setup for Season 3 of Mandalorian because it fills in some gaps and like has forward motion for Mando so that when we meet him, we know how he got a ship, we know what he's been up to, we know that this this amount of time that he'll spend with, with Boba Fett, um, and I think that, if, if anything, like I said before, maybe he plans to go see Grogu right now, but gets thrown off because they're attacked, or something becomes more urgent, and he doesn't get to do it, and that'll carry over into Mandalorian Season 3. Or they could also do a similar thing that they did with Book of Boba Fett, and just like join mando in a modern day thing and have like a flashback to to what happened as he continues down his own present day path i I think either way it's possible but i think more likely is the idea of him intending to go see grogu and then not being able to follow through on that just yet
1: brian what is your prediction what what definitively are we going to see next week are we going to see grogu are we not going to see din at all is it going to be another episode completely
3: a complete Mando episode. I wonder if they're going to skip his visit to Grogu and they're just going to go straight to them defending things or whatever, or something bigger is going to happen next week is, I believe our Filoni episode, right? Yeah, I think it is. And so if there's going to be a bigger crossover happening, what could stop Mando from going to see Grogu and, Going to help Boba Fett first, then some other outside force uh, pressing down on it. What if Bo Katan comes after him? Uh, you know, who is a, a Filoni character? Uh, things like that. I think Felloni's really trained me to expect the unexpected, but also with him, the unexpected happens to be from the same quiver of characters every time.
1: <laughs> that 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 is a hundred percent true. I don't really know what to expect from the next episode. I really feel like they the next two episodes need to be Boba Fett-centric, and they can't be flashbacks. I feel like it needs to move the story forward, and I feel like seeing him go and find Luke and go Gro- Grogu, uh, I feel like as much as I want to see that, uh, as a, you know, I'm a big fan of this character. I'm I want to see Grogu. Everybody wants to see Grogu, and I think people are going to be pissed off when they don't get Grogu next episode. I think I have to agree with you, Brad. I, I don't think we're going to see Grogu next episode.
2: And because if anything, it's just and I I don't know if we have an uh, there's an, either an article that's forthcoming or an article that's going has gone up. Um, it's too soon for us to see Grogu. Like we have to spend some time away from him. So I I think that yeah I, I feel like that has to be the the best choice.
1: Uh, yeah, I, 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 well, well, Brad, for, to be real, we, we spent like a year away from him, but, no, but, but um, I mean, within the context, but you mean the character, like, yeah, the like character man, needs yeah
2: to. Mando needs to like have some time away from Grogu, like at least an entire season without Grogu, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, so neither of you think we're going to get another Mando episode of Book of Boba Fett, like, uh, by Mando episode, I mean, like, uh, Mandalorian centric episode
2: no i don't think so
1: no Uh, do either of you think that in mandalorian season
3: three that we'll get a book of boba fett episode i it depends on how this wraps up if boba fett decides to sign up with with mando somehow or they intersect i would be surprised if we don't see tamir morrison on season three of mando
1: Oh, I, hundred percent that uh, bet that. I'm just wondering if we'll get like an actual full, full length Boba Fett episode. Oh no, no, no. not in your life. <laughs> People would be so pissed off at this point. I think. Um, it seems to me that Mando needs some serious dark saber training if he if he really wants to wield that thing. So um, my line of thinking is like, who could train him? Do, do either of you have any speculation on who might train Mando in the dark? Chamber?
3: Luke Skywalker.
1: Oh,
3: boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, who else wields it? There are two characters well, out there that we know of. Yeah, Ahsoka or Luke are the only two characters out there with a lightsaber. and well, no, did... Cal, Cal Kestis is still alive, right? Maybe. I don't know.
1: Maybe. I, don't, I, I never
3: um, played the game, so I don't know anything. Um, but... <laughs> Um, but there's two characters that we know have lightsabers and one of them we know he's going after right now. (laughs) True, true. Uh, But I I don't know. Maybe they don't want that prolonged exposure to to a a digital Mark Hamill.
1: Yeah, I I feel like people are going to be disappointed with this because I don't think there's a lot of fans out there that really want more of Luke now that he's appeared. And I feel like you no. just can't do it. There's yeah. no way to do it.
2: Even if it were the best looking digital model of young Luke Skywalker ever, I don't want that to be a thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, even though it's probably not going to happen in the next episode, I have to ask you guys, when Din finally goes and meets Grogu, what are the chances that Grogu actually wants to go back with him?
3: And Depends him on still? how cool that armor is.
2: yeah i mean i that's why that's another reason why i feel like more time has to pass too because like that would definitely be an interesting conflict for grogu to have to deal with in within himself is whether he wants to continue you know training and follow his own path as uh, a, a jedi you know after learning from luke or if he wants to be back with with mandalorian who kind of became his adoptive father you know so i think that that's why we need but That to could stay. that
1: could give you that though. That could give you that like he could go there and Grogu would be like no, I want to stay here. I mean and like maybe. that would be like so that would be so devastating for that character,
0: I think.
2: But I don't think that Mando if he goes to visit him now would be going to visit him and want to take him away and pick him up. Like his training has just started. There's no way he would want to go and disrupt that because he knows that it's good for him. So mm. I don't, th- I, I, that's why I think you need that time away in order for that to become more of a, a bigger issue for Grogu.
1: So guys, w- w- what the fuck is going on with the show? <laughs> Look, I, th- I really don't even know, uh, where, w- what to speculate on because we don't even know, you know, if you had told me this episode was going to be entirely Mandalorian centric and that Boba Fett wasn't even going to appear in it. I wouldn't have believed you, but we got so, that. Like, I don't know how you I'm, wrap up all this.
3: We we talked about this before, right? With the battle with the Pikes, and how Ahsoka has had a lot of dealings with the Pikes, and if Ahsoka's hunting down Thrawn, maybe she thinks the Pikes know where he is, and maybe that leads her to Tatooine, and so maybe. The confrontation with the Pikes, the confrontation over the Mandalorian uh, Darksaber with Din, and the confrontation with, between Boba Fett and the Pikes brings a whole bunch of these characters and all these spin off shows back together all in one place. Um, it could spin off a whole lot more. And it seems like this episode did as much to set up Mando season three as Mando season two did. Yeah. More even. And and so, if the next two episodes are really just a resolution to the conflict and a setup for everything that's going to spin off next, that would make a lot of sense. Especially if you're handing it to Filoni.
2: Yeah, I think with the way that the Boba Fett series has carried out so far, that this is going to be basically something of just a footnote that gave them a uh, provided fans with the explanation that Lucasfilm undoubtedly knew that they would need as to how. Boba Fett came back and to like help redefine the character before becoming a bigger part of what man, the Mandalorian is doing and creating this like interconnected universe of TV shows featuring all these star Wars characters. I feel like this just has to be like a stepping stone to getting to that next part and bringing them together and doing a much bigger story beyond just following Boba Fett's own adventure.
1: You know, while you're talking about all this stuff coming together, it just a, a thought occurred to me in my mind, something I had not thought about. You know, we spent hours and hours, you know, dozens of hours talking about this show in this Mandalorian verse. Do you guys think that at some point in this Mandalorian verse that Ahsoka is going to come face-to-face with Luke Skywalker? I think they would save that for her show. Yeah, I'm not saying in this show, but like, do you think that's actually going to happen? Like, that seems like it would be an interesting. That seems like it would be a felony thing to do. But what? Just, but what? Just like with with but, her long relationship with um, Anakin, and for her, her, well, does she does she even know about Luke? Do we know that? I'm not even sure we know that because we've only well, seen her in the
3: clone wars and rebels this... but by this time she would have been able to commune with obi-wan and we know she made contact with yoda during rebels when he was on dagobah um so she'd have access to the jedi and the knowledge of the jedi and i would be so well they added hayden christensen to the cast of ahsoka mm-hmm. um which says to me Maybe Force Ghost Anakin is finally going to happen.
1: I I think I think that's probably the case. Well, I mean Force Ghost Anakin did happen at the end of uh Return of the Jedi well, special edition, right?
3: I think I think one of the things that was one of the questions that one of the things that I was disappointed with the last Jedi initially about was that that conversation between Luke and a Force Ghost wasn't with his father because I wanted to see that confrontation between the two of them. I softened on that when I heard Ryan Johnson's explanation about how this is Luke's master and how thematically it all works. It it makes so much more sense of a choice, um, but I think a lot of people have been like champing at that bit for a while. And and you saw the reaction to people hearing his voice in Rise of Skywalker. Filoni is a fan like we are. I, I think he has the power to make it happen. Why not?
1: Okay, th- those were all the questions I had for speculation. Do you, either of you have anything else you want to speculate about before we end this thing?
2: I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it. Now it's going to be interesting to see like what happens in the next two episodes of uh, Book of Boba Fett.
1: Okay, on that note, you can find more of all of our work at on.com. You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, speculation to peter at com, And please head on over to our Apple podcast page and write us a five-star review. That helps us so much. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.